Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. This section from Matthew's Gospel is a section I really love. You hear Jesus over and over again in this sort of litany of images giving all of these different parables. It's like this sort of machine gun creativity coming out of the incarnate word's imagination. He's like bubbling over with all of these images. He's trying to communicate what the kingdom of heaven is like. He's turning the diamond to show all these different facets of it with all these different images, all these different analogies. I love it. Here's the problem, though. I want us to pause and try and defamiliarize ourselves a little bit with that phrase, kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, because as soon as we hear it, as soon as we hear it, all of these mental images, all of these preconceived ideas, ways of thinking about this just kind of flood into our minds, images maybe of, you know, the streets paved with gold, the pearly gates, clouds, angels, cherubs, worship, the lamb, the throne, all of that a place where we hope to go to after we die. And like, that's not wrong. That's not wrong. But what I, want us to, what I want to suggest is that when Jesus is using the phrase in these parables over and over again, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, I want to suggest that our hearts hear something slightly different. I want us to hear like, this is the way that God is, right? Or what the Father is like. It's like Jesus is saying, I'm trying to explain what the Father is like, what his love is like, how he operates, how he orders things, how he does things. Okay, so with that in mind, I'm, I'm about to go on what might seem like a little tangent, but just stay with me on this, uh, this roller coaster this morning. You with me? Yeah? Okay, good. All right, I'm sure you knew growing up, or maybe even now you know uh, households where kids grow up that are really, really rough homes. Places where it's really, really painful and difficult to grow up. Maybe you know, um, yeah, maybe they're your neighbors, I don't know. Maybe dad was an alcoholic, he's given to fits of rage, and mom is emotionally distant, unstable. The kids are always super involved in extracurricular activities because they want to stay outside of the house as much as possible. Maybe for dad, it's the fact that like the demons that he met overseas in war, they just came home with him and mom, like she just can barely keep a household together. And imagine what it's like for the kid to grow up in that home. To be a kid growing up in that home is horrible. Like a child has to learn how to survive emotionally and psychologically. And they do it by making these sort of inner vows, not on a conscious level, but on a deep, unconscious, heart, spiritual level. Things like, I'm never going to let myself get close to people. Because that's when you get hurt. Or I'm never going to be vulnerable. Or I have to perform outwardly to gain anybody's attention or approval. Like, I'm only ever seen when I'm doing stuff. Or I have to learn how to read the subtle cues in my dad's voice and, and his behavior or to, to pick up on my mom's tone to navigate between their emotions. I have to be responsible for that. Or you get the, the sense that nobody's coming for me. Nobody's concerned for me. Nobody's thinking of me. I have to take care of myself. 
Now, I want you to imagine that that child growing up in that house is suddenly removed from that situation, is moved from that home and placed into a different home, a home of incredibly loving, incredibly caring, just incredible parents, like a foster mom and dad, new mom and dad, a home that's saturated in an atmosphere of kindness and tenderness and mercy, a home where there's structure and order, a home where there's good food and soft beds and clean clothes. The thing is, chances are, as much as that kid will probably be excited to be in that new home, it's going to take that child's heart a long time to move from one mode of being to another mode of being, from a sort of survival mode to a mode of, like, trust and flourishing and love, right? You can almost hear the child saying things like, you mean you don't love me more because I got good grades? What? You actually showed up at my soccer practice like you said you would? Like I saw you standing there on the sideline. I, I was stunned. I, no one kept their promises to me before. You mean you can actually bear the weight of my big emotions that you're strong enough for my unedited soul? You mean I don't have to pretend to be fine? You mean that there's, what do you mean there's a refrigerator full of good food? A pantry full of food that's not rotting or spoiled? What do you mean that I'm provided for? What do you mean you packed my lunch? There's a note inside there? I don't understand this kind of love. Friends, I share all of that because, like, in and through these parables, Jesus is trying to tell us what the Father's house, what his house, what his heart, what his ways are like. And the thing is, I, I mean, how many of us have heard these two parables from the gospel, the, the treasure buried in the field, the pearl of great price, and just kind of automatically go to this way of thinking that what Jesus is saying is that, okay, the kingdom of heaven is this thing that's worth the effort, like, you got to put in the effort to get the thing. Sell all you have, put in the effort, get the thing. Get the kingdom of heaven. Okay, and in some regards, that's right and true, sure. But I think it totally misses the central message that he's trying to communicate. And it's this, that you and me are the treasure buried in the field, are the pearl of great price. Like, we are the ones that have captivated his eye that... We are the ones that, like Jesus, the Son of God, has bankrupted heaven to come by us. That's what redemption means, to buy back. He's bankrupted heaven to buy you, to win you back at the price of his precious blood, right? In the story of Christianity, we are not the hunters. We're the hunted. We are the mouse and he's the cat, like, he says to us, I see in you a treasure worth having, a treasure worth discovering, a treasure worth obtaining, so I will bankrupt heaven for you. So what is the kingdom of heaven like? It's like that. Yeah, it's, it's a love that is so wildly prodigal and so wildly lavish and so particular that the Father sends his Son into the field of creation to find you, 
to obtain you, to buy your heart back from the clutches of sin and Satan and hell. The point is this, that it's not about us looking for him. It's about him looking for us. That's what heaven's like. It's actively looking for you. That's the kind of love it is. It's about him looking for us. Our hearts that have been so formed and conditioned in to live and cope in this fallen world, just like that child that was formed and conditioned to live and cope in that awful house, it's ta- it takes us a lifetime, this long journey of having to unlearn that this is not what the Father's house is like, this world. It's an otherworldly kind of love. It's a lifetime of having to unlearn it and learn a whole new way of being, like the way of being a child. Right? Jesus says, unless you turn and become like little children, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So friends, today, what I want us to reflect on throughout the day is just simply this, this idea that I am the treasure buried in the field, that I am the pearl of great price that he came in search for. Reflect on that throughout the day and just watch how it changes and what it does in your heart. Amen.